Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. You might give a little space for that, Paul says. The expanded Bible, same verses says this, but I am afraid that your minds will be led away or corrupted from your true, sincere, and pure following of Christ. As Eve was tricked and deceived by the snake, the serpent with his evil ways, cunning craftiness, you are very patient with and willing to put up with Gladly tolerate anyone who comes to you and preaches a different Jesus from the one we preached. You are very willing to accept a spirit that is different from the spirit you received or a gospel that is different from the one you accepted or received from us. Paul is concerned for this people. He says, I am afraid that your minds will be led away or corrupted from your true and sincere and pure following of Christ, just as Eve was tricked and deceived by the snake. I want to preach to you tonight from this title, Beware of Snake. Beware of Snake. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, God, I pray you would begin to speak, God, where I would lack tonight. Lord, I pray your word, Jesus, God, would go forth with power and authority, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, you would speak, Lord. I pray you would act, God. I pray you would heal. I pray you would deliver. I pray that you would redeem, Lord. Let your powerful word, Jesus, do its work right now, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight. You can be seated. Do you want to say, too, how good it is to have Sister Donna's family with us tonight? Amen. Always good when they visit with us. I believe it was the summer of 2005, and it was the Tracy family vacation. Now, my wife, Julie, being a Tracy, it's an event that we attend and will attend every year. We have a, we've been having a wonderful time in Branson, Missouri. We were there. We were doing tourist stuff. We were doing shows and shopping and seeing the scenery. As a family one evening, we sat down and we kind of try to get all the things in order so we don't miss a moment of vacation and uh, keep it exciting. And we decided that we would rent a pontoon boat and we would spend the next day on the lake fishing and swimming and such. And we had a wonderful time that day with uh, the few kids that we had then and, and swimming with uh, nieces and nephews and fishing in the coves and it was just a wonderful a time that we had together and we were comfortable we were laughing and it was not until later that day after all the fun was over that the locals mentioned that in the water there in the lake of uh, table rock i believe is the name of the lake there were water moccasins there a water moccasin is a snake known as a cottonmouth that is apparently common in the ozarks that i was unaware this, was, this is a venomous snake that can quickly and efficiently deliver a fatal bite in just a few moments. 
To think that we have been so comfortable and completely unaware of such a threat is certainly scary to say the least. Well, I don't want any risk to us being killed tonight. I don't want any of us here tonight to be uninformed. Please don't get comfortable in the world where you are. There is a snake that is on the loose and everybody is at risk. The symbol of a serpent or a snake, it played important roles in religious and cultural life in ancient Egypt and Canaan and Mesopotamia and Greece. The snake was a symbol of evil power and a symbol of chaos from the underworld. The word snake, it appears 67 times in the Bible. The word serpent appears 26 times. The King James Bible often uses the word serpent while other versions translate it as snake. The world has many varieties of snakes. In fact, I'm told that there's more than 3,000 specific species of snakes. And i got to say, I hate each and every one of them. Snakes are both poisonous and non-poisonous in their variety. But it's interesting to me that out of these 3,000 and many which are non-poisonous, the Bible only mentions poisonous snakes. It mentions the viper 14 times, the asp uh, 3 times, the cobra 4 times, and the adder 3 times. This is because the Bible wants us to, be ver- to know and the Bible wants to be very clear for us that the snake represents Satan and in Satan there is an ever-present danger. His desire is always to poison you and to ultimately lead to a slow spiritual death as your life ebbs away. The first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, is the very first mention of the word snake. Genesis 3 and 1, now the snake or the serpent was more clever, shrewd or cunning or crafty than all the wild animals that the Lord had made. One day the snake said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat of any tree of the garden? That is the very first mention of this snake. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, contains the last mention. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2 The angel grabbed and seized the dragon or that old snake, the ancient serpent who is the devil, and Satan, and tied him up and bound him up for a thousand years. From that first mention in Genesis to the last mention in the book of Revelation, the snake wreaks havoc and destruction throughout the entire Bible. Paul the Apostle, he has not allowed himself to forget the risks and he feels compelled to make others aware that the risk exists also. He says in our text, I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the uh, simplicity that is in Christ. The other version that we read says, but I am afraid that your minds will be led away corrupted from your sincere and true and pure following of Christ, just as Eve was tricked and deceived by the snake, by the serpent, with his evil and cunning craftiness. Paul refers back to this incident in the Old Testament, the first book of Genesis that we already mentioned in Genesis 3 verses 1 through 6. It records for us Eve's encounter with this snake that Paul's warning us about. 
Verse 1, now the snake was more able to fool others than any animal of the field which the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God say that you should not eat from any tree in the garden? Then the woman said to the snake, we may eat free of the tree. Uh, we may eat the fruit trees of the garden, but the tree that is in the center of the garden, God has said, do not eat it or touch it or you will die. The snake said to the woman, no, you will, you will for sure, you for sure, excuse me, will not die. For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and bad. Then the woman said that the tree was good, saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and could fulfill the desire of making one wise. So she took of the fruit and ate it and she gave some also to her husband and he did eat. Now the snake was more subtle. It is here in chapter 3 that man first encounters this snake for the very first time. The text here does not itself point uh, to identify this serpent as Satan, but certainly as you follow the text through the rest of the Bible, it makes it clear that this is Satan appearing as a serpent. The book of Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 13 through 19 tells us that Satan was in the garden. Many other passages such as Job chapter 26 and verse 13 and Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 9 associate a snake-like creature with Satan. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 and chapter 20 and verse 2 speak of that old snake who is the devil and who is Satan. The serpent, it says, was more cunning than any beast that God had made. Satan's effectiveness is often found in his cunning and his crafty ways. He is deceitful. He is a liar. There is no truth in him. If he is whispering in your ear, if he is making accusations in your life, you can be certain that those things are lies. You see, you can't outsmart Satan because of his cunningness, but we can overcome him with the power of Jesus Christ. It was his superior craftiness. It was his spirit of deception of Satan that made him successful against Eve in the garden. Spurgeon said this. He said, man is perhaps far more cunning than any mere creature. But Satan has more cunningness within him than any other creature that the Lord hath made, man being included. This snake, he said to the woman, or this serpent, as the Scripture puts it in the King James, apparently before the curse was pronounced in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the, the serpent was different than what we know today as a snake. This creature didn't start as a snake, but as we know, he became one. And he has gotten worse over time. It has gone downhill ever since. Here is the curse that God put upon Satan that day. And the Lord God said unto the snake, because you did this, because you tempted and caused Eve to sin, I will put a curse upon you. You will be cursed as no other animal, tame or wild will ever be. You will crawl. You will go on your stomach, on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will make you and the woman enemies of each other. I'll place hostility and enmity between you and the woman, between your descendants and her descendants. They're going to be enemies. 
enemies, but one of her descendants. Everybody say Jesus appears in Genesis. One of her descendants, Jesus, will crush your head and he will... And you will bite his heel. God pronounces the snake's future fatal fate right here. He says, Satan, I want you to know that one day you'll no longer be able to tempt humanity. There's a day coming when you'll no longer be able to draw humanity away from relationship with me. Because there is a Savior coming one day in the future that will simply crush you. The serpent said to the woman, and, and perhaps uh, Satan made the voice supernaturally seem to come forth from the serpent. We don't really know how this happened. Perhaps it was a thought that was communicated to Eve. Uh, uh, but what the serpent said was much more important than how he said it. Satan brought his temptation against the woman because he perceived she was vulnerable to attack. Well, why would she be vulnerable, Pastor? Because, because she did not receive the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil herself. This command from God came directly from God to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. You see, Satan will always find and he will always attack at the chain's weakest link. So he gets at Adam by attacking and tempting Eve. Since Adam heard directly from God, a lie would have been harder to sell to Adam than it was to Eve for Satan. Satan's first attack that he leveled was against the word of God. If, if he could make Eve confused about what God said, if he began to have her doubt what God said, then his battle was already partially won there in the garden that day. From the very beginning, Satan tried to undermine God's people by undermining God's word. And it's still happening in 2023, still right now. He says, has God indeed said? Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan took God's positive command in Genesis chapter 2 uh, that every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. He takes that positive command and he rephrases it in a purely negative way. God won't let you eat of every tree. That's basically what he said. Then we have Eve's reply to the serpent. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit trees of the garden. But the fruit uh, of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall, you shall not eat it nor touch it lest you die. Eve's first mistake, I believe, was in carrying on a discussion with the snake. Can I tell you, if he's... I said it earlier, if he's making accusations in your life, if he's debating some doctrine in your life, if he's making some arguments about the spirit in your life, it is not time for you to sit down and have a discussion with him. Things are not up for debate. It's time for you just to simply tell him to leave. The scripture says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, you can't reason with a liar. You can't reason with somebody who's deceitful. You can't reason with someone who doesn't know truth. You can't reason with someone who's jealous. You can't reason with someone who thinks they are God. Eve said, we may eat of the tree of the, 
uh, the fruit of the trees of the garden, and Eve's knowledge of what she should not do is partially correct. But partially was not enough. She doesn't seem to know what makes all the more what makes her all the more vulnerable to deception. Eve does not seem to know the name of this tree. She only calls it the tree in the middle of the garden. Instead of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now we can point this back, I think, to Adam. It was Adam's responsibility to take the word of what God said and make sure that it didn't get changed from when it was passed on to Eve. But I'm sure that day I can just picture it, Brother Keith. He says, oh, by the way, Eve, you see that tree over there in the middle? We can't touch that tree. He didn't give her the name of it. He didn't give her the reason for it. He just said, kind of just give her a generality, and that's what Eve had to work with. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Think of that. You will surely not die. This is an outright lie. Because it wasn't going to be in a physical sense. In fact, they didn't even know what physical death was. They had not experienced it as of yet. But God said, you're going to die in a spiritual manner. You see, Satan had effectively laid the groundwork. He drew Eve into a discussion with him, and he planted that seed of doubt about God's word. He exposed Eve's incomplete understanding of the word of God, and now he moves in for the kill with an outright contradiction about what God said. You see, Satan can only effectively work when he has established a foothold somewhere in your life. This is why Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 tells us to give no place to the devil. Think of it. He makes that bold statement, you shall not surely die. Satan first wanted Eve to forget all about what God said about the consequences of sin. Because when we remember the consequences of sin, when we see the consequences of sin, when we're a witness to what sin does, it's easier to stay within the parameters of the Word of God. But when you forget about the consequences of sin, when you forget about... Come on, if there's ever been a day when we can realize the consequences of sin and what it does, it's where we are right now. Don't ever forget about the consequences of sin. When we know and we remember those consequences, we'll stay within the parameters of the Word of God. In Satan's direct challenge, he tries to get Eve to doubt the goodness of God. If God lies to her, how can he be a good God? If Satan's direct challenge, he, he tries to get Eve to, to doubt the badness of sin. Those are two pretty serious things. Doubt the goodness of God and doubt the badness of sin. If this fruit is something good, if it's pleasant, why doesn't God want her to have it? You see, Satan wants us to see sin as something good that a bad God doesn't want us to have. His main lie to us is sin is not bad and God is not 
good. When in fact, just the opposite is the case. Sin is always bad, and God is always good. You see, Satan's temptation, the snake's temptation was all the more powerful because there was just a tad of truth in it. It's true, your eyes will be opened. And this was fulfilled, but not like Satan said. It wasn't that their eyes would be open and you would be as God's, but their eyes were instantly open to their own sin and their own rebellion, and they couldn't bear to face themselves in the garden. They couldn't bear to stand before their God in that state. The snake's desire is to make you to sin and cause you to become separated from God. This is what Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 10 and 8. I'm reading from, I believe it's the expanded. Anyone who digs a pit might fall into it. Anyone who knocks down or breaches a wall might be bitten by a snake. Wise words from a wise man. When you start breaking down walls, make no mistake, you're going to encounter a snake. Well, pastor, I don't think this is all necessary. When you break down that wall, you're going to encounter a snake. Well, I don't think we need to look. When you break down that wall, you're going to encounter a snake. I think we just need to let down on the standard just a little bit. Can I tell you, when you break down that wall, you're going to encounter a snake. I don't think all this righteousness is necessary. Let's get out the battering ram and let's try to take that wall down. When you take that, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. When you take that wall down, you're going to encounter a snake that's hissing on the other side of that wall just waiting to grab a hold of you and bite you and put an end to your spiritual existence. Spiritual walls are not there to hinder you. Spiritual walls are there for your protection. You see, the snake can only come as far as the wall as long as the wall's still standing. So I'm begging you tonight as a pastor, please don't tear down the walls of protection that God has placed in your life. I found that people are often far too eager to break down walls before they know why it was erected in the first place. You can break down the wall, but there'll be a snake waiting to get in from the other side. You see, in many situations in life, there are many situations that overwhelm us. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 15, it says, The snake, the serpent, poured or spewed out water out of its mouth like a river to water after the woman so the flood would carry or sweep her away. Overwhelming water here signifies overwhelming trouble. Make no mistake, the snake is going to spew some things into your life that will cause you to be overwhelmed with trouble. But I got good news. You belong to God. I got good news. You're behind the walls of the Spirit. I got good news. There's some walls that have been erected that are walls of holiness and walls of protection that are going to keep you safe from that serpent that is waiting to bite you. Rebecca Lyons in her book, You Are Free, Be Who You Already Are, she writes this. She says, my granddad told me a story once, and that story became a light. 
a light that unlocks the dark and releases you into the land of a thousand suns. Apparently, so the story went, there had been a tropical snake, longer than the length of a man, that wound its way up the stilts of a jungle cabana and slithered right into the unsuspecting woman's kitchen. That woman turned around, split the day with one blood-curdling scream, flung herself outside wide-eyed. About that time, a neighbor, wielding a machete, come and showed up and calmly walked into her kitchen and sliced the head of the reptilian thing. The strange thing is that, that the snake's neurology and blood flow make it such that the snake still slithers wildly even after it's been sliced headless. For hours that woman stood outside waiting and the body of the snake still rampaged on, thrashing hard against the windows and the walls, destroying furniture, taking out everything that was good in her home. My granddad, she said, turned to say it and I can tell you it felt like a proclamation of emancipation. He said, a snake can only wreak havoc until it accepts it has no head, and it's actually dead. Job chapter 26 and verse 13 says this, By his breath the heavens are made beautiful. His hand cut through the snake as it tried to get away. Musicians, you can come back tonight. You see, Satan is a lot like that big old snake in the story. He's already been defeated. He just doesn't know it yet. And in the meantime, make no mistake, that snake is going to flop. He's going to hiss. He's going to thrash. He's going to do all the damage and wreak all the havoc that he can in those last moments. But never forget, without a head... A head that's been crushed, he is powerless. We have to remember that Jesus came and already crushed the serpent's head. He promised that he would do it in Genesis chapter 3 and 15, and he accomplished it on Calvary's cross. The enemy of your soul can only wreak havoc in your life until you accept that he's already dead. You see, we've been afraid for too long of the snake. We often allow fear to win the battle of the mind. Truth be told, everyone has something that they fear. For most, those fears are mild and they don't really affect their quality of life. However, for patients with diagnosable phobias, the level of fear and discomfort when confronted with specific objects or situations is exceptional and can sift uh, excuse me, significantly impact their day-to-day -day life. This impact, said, can be so severe that it produces physical symptoms such as nausea, dizziness, and even panic attacks. Well, there are many different types of observed phobias. There are some that affect a higher population much, much more. Ophidiophobia is the fear of snakes. And it is number two on the top ten list of phobias in all of the world. What an apt title for the enemy 
of your soul. You see, the snake, the enemy, he wants to paralyze your life with fear. But don't let that snake traumatize you. He's already been crushed. Don't let that snake make you afraid. His head has already been crushed. Don't make that snake cow, uh, don't let that snake make you cower in fear. I want you to know he's crushed. Don't let him keep you awake at night. He's already been crushed. Don't let that snake keep you from moving forward because he's already been crushed. The scripture tells us that perfect love, love that only Jesus can offer, it casts out all fear. So you can put your life into the hands of Almighty God and allow him to calm every fear that has been controlling your life and controlling your family and keeping your relationships. I want you to know that snake that's been tormenting you, his days are limited. His head has been crushed, but he's going to be tied, and he's going to be cast into the pit forever. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2, the angel grabbed and seized the old snake, the ancient serpent who was the devil and Satan, and tied him up and bound him up for a thousand years and cast him into the pit. Make no mistake, the snake will be snuffed out. You can walk confident as a child of God. As you stand tonight, Psalm 91, verses 13 through 16, it says, You will walk or tread on lions and cobras. You will step on and trample strong lions and snakes. The Lord says, Whoever loves and desires me, I will save. I will rescue. I will protect. I will lift to safety. Those who know me, those who know my name, they will call to me and I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will be with them in distress. I will rescue them and honor them and glorify them. I will give them long life. I will give them full life. I will satisfy their life with length of days and they will see that I can save them. He'll experience my salvation and my victory. That's the God that we serve. You see, you as a child of God can find a powerful place when you are walking and working in the Spirit. This is what it said in the Gospel of Luke. It says, Behold, I have given you power or authority or dominion to walk and trample on snakes and scorpions. Power that is greater than any power the enemy has. Authority over all the power of the enemy. So nothing can by any means hurt you. I've been talking to somebody all through this message. You're realizing that you've been tormented long enough. You've cowered in fear for long enough. You've listened to the voice of the serpent for long enough. You've let him torment you for long enough. Well, I want to remind you tonight, that tormenting voice, it can't be too loud in your life because his head has already been crushed. It's still attached. He's still thrashing around. He's still making a little noise. He's still destroying a few things. But there's a day coming when God will send his angel and will bind him up and will throw him into the pit and he'll be bound for a thousand years. I want someone to know tonight, you don't have to allow yourself to be tormented anymore. You say, well, how will I do that? How will I keep this snake at bay? Well, there's nothing that keeps away a snake 
like a little fire. You stay on fire in the spirit, and you're never going to have to worry about a snake or a serpent. You stay on fire in the spirit, and he's not going to have the nerve to come close. You stay on fire in the spirit, and he won't even think he can... In the book of Acts, chapter 28, Paul has been on a ship, and this ship has, he, they've gone through a storm. The ship has wrecked, and they've been tossed on the, uh, on the shore of this, uh, of this desert, or this island, small island, the scripture tells us. Acts 28 and verse 3, it says, after this and after the storm, they were trying to get warm, and Paul gathered a pile of sticks as he was putting them on the fire when a poisonous snake or viper came out of the sticks because of the heat of the fire and bit him. The scripture says in the King James, it fastened itself on to his hand. The people living on the island, they had been on the shore and they had been watching this shipwreck as it happened. The native people saw the snake hanging from Paul's hand and they began to say to each other, this man must be a murderer. He didn't die in the shipwreck, but justice has come looking for him. Justice doesn't want him to live, these natives said. Verse 5 tells us, but Paul shook the snake off. Where did he shake it off? He shook it off into the fire and was not hurt. You see, it doesn't matter what the enemy can do to you. If you put yourself and allow God to set you on fire with the Spirit, it doesn't even matter if he manages to latch a hold of you. That fire will burn him off. That fire will cause him to lose himself from you. Even the venom of this viper that grabbed a hold of Paul was neutralized by the Spirit of God. You see, the enemy thinks that he's bad. The enemy thinks he can take you out. But he's so, so wrong. He can't take you out. You have a God who is stronger. You have a God who is greater. You don't have to be deceived by words like, did God say? Is God's word true? Is God for you? I can tell you tonight without a doubt, God is for you. God loves you. God is working on your behalf. God's preparing a place for you that where he is, we can be also. God loves you that much. So as they begin to sing tonight, we're going to open the altar and we're going to come and we're going to thank God for the Spirit and for, for the Spirit giving us dominion over the power of the serpent in our life. We'll no longer be tormented. We'll no longer be in fear. We'll no longer cower, but we'll live in victory. We'll walk in the presence and the Spirit of God. Amen. Let's sing.